Good morning. Good morning. How we doing? I'm doing good. Awesome. Can we just, before I say another word, can we just, can we just pray again? Um, dear God, thank you for, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness, God. And I just want to pray over each person in this room right now. God, that I thank you for bringing them here. And I pray that in some way this morning, God, that we would, we would see you. God, we're all seeking and in different ways, and we know that you are big enough to show up for whatever we need. So I pray over my words, I pray over your words, God, that you would speak and you would move. In your beautiful name, Jesus, amen, amen. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Noah, as my name tag says, um, and I lead the, the middle school ministry here. Uh, it's been a while, I've been up on stage a few times, but it's been a while, so if we never met, it's nice to meet you. Um, and I'd like to take a moment um, this morning, um, for those who don't know me super well, to give you just a little bit about myself, um, if that's okay with you. I'm not, I'm not a super big talker, kind of a quiet guy, but if you want me to talk, like if you want to have a conversation, you want to get me going, there's really like three topics of conversation that like if you bring these up, like you will get me going. The first one is sports. Right, like I love sports, we could talk about sports. Football just started, college football yesterday. Go blue, am I right, go blue? Yeah, uh, <laughs> woo, there we, there we go. Um, but I will talk about sports, I love it. The second thing is theology, obviously, right? And we'll get into that in a second. And the third one, and, and I'd like to take a second to talk about this if you will, the third thing that I love, 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 and we'll talk about is hip hop, is hip hop. And like I said, I'd like to take a moment, I realize, I realize who I'm talking to, that we probably don't have a ton of hip-hop heads in the room. I understand that's okay, but let me, let me just break it down for you. Let me just give you some game this morning, if that's okay. Um, hip-hop, hip-hop, love it. I want to talk to you this morning about one of, my one of my favorite albums, one of the greatest albums of all time, and I, I brought the vinyl. We got vinyl fans in here? This is the best way to listen to music. I'll say it. And, and you know, part of it is like this virtuous, virtue signaling that like, yeah, I spent $40 on an album, that means I like it more than you, but that's okay, um, because it's the best way to do it. It's the best way to do it. But this album right here, if you don't know hip hop, is To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Um, and the reason I wanna talk about this album, you're like, what, where is he going with this? The reason I wanna talk about this album is because I was watching this video the other day, and it was from this, this other rapper. Um, who was talking about the greats um, and, and the music that he as a rapper wants to make is to be like the greats, the Kendrick Lamar, and he, and he talked about this album. And he said, and this, this blew my mind and it's what I want to get at, is he said the reason Kendrick Lamar is so great, the reason this album is so great is not because it's palatable, but because it's accessible. Not because it's palatable, but because it's accessible, and you're wondering, well, what's, like, what's the difference? Like, what, what, what's, the, what's the difference between those two? And he broke it down like this. He said, palatable music is something that's made for everybody. 
right? Like everybody can take this music, it's full of hits, like everybody will like this, it's easy. It's the kind of music that like everybody's making, so we hop on the trends and we ride it and we know that this sort of art is gonna be popular, like that's palatable art, that's music. And he says, the difference being, he said the greats of all time, and no matter like you're sitting in this room, like you have a greatest, a greatest artist, like the reason that makes them great is not because they're palatable, palatable that's a hard word, but because it's accept, accessible. It's accessible. Accessible music is music that brings you into their story. See, this album is so good because Kendrick Lamar says, can you take a second to step inside of my shoes? Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you about how I came up? And, and to be honest, like this, sometimes this is hard to listen to because I don't necessarily relate to what he's saying, but he's calling me to step inside of his shoes and say, can you listen to me for a moment? And he widens your perspective about life and about art as you listen to it. And see, the thing about art is art that is beautiful, art that is truly, truly beautiful is compelling, right? Like art that is truly beautiful is compelling. Art that is truly beautiful, and again, this goes for all art, music, whatever, painting, whatever you, whatever you consume, like art that is beautiful stirs something within you. It stirs something within you, and sometimes it doesn't always sit right. You ever walk through a museum, like an art museum, and you see that painting that's kind of like hard to look at? Like that's intentional by the artist because the artist is trying to stir something within you, trying to paint, literally paint a picture about something that maybe needs to be brought to your attention, and sometimes it's hard to swallow. Art that is beautiful is sometimes uncomfortable, it widens our perspective. And where I'm going with this, where I'm going with this is, as I was listening to that, I thought, I think the same is true about Jesus. I think the same is true about Jesus. See, I don't think Jesus is palatable. I don't. But he is accessible. And I think so often though, we as the church, specifically the church in America, who's adopted this like consumerist mindset, we've tried to turn Jesus into something that's easy to consume, right? Like we, we, we've made this Jesus that's like super practical and easy. We've made this Jesus that doesn't ask too much of us. We've made this Jesus that really just kind of looks like us. Because, you know, what we want to do is we want to get the masses on board and, and wouldn't it be awesome if we had all these numbers and so we make this Jesus that's really super easy. And yet I think we lose so much. And we do that as the church. And I also think there's this other side of it where like deep within us as individuals, we have this desire to make Jesus look like us. Right, like, like wouldn't it be easier to follow a Jesus that just so happens to have the same perspective and same ideas and same political alignment that I do? Like, wouldn't that be easy, right? And without knowing it, we've created this Jesus that's simply like us, and it's easy. 
And yet, and yet what I want to get at this morning is I don't think that's the Jesus of Scripture. Like, I just don't think that's the Jesus that we're actually called to follow. In fact, I think the Jesus that we're called to follow is frankly really difficult and not palatable at all. But he is accessible. See, Jesus, the Jesus that I read in Scripture is one who is a radical like his ideas and things that he paints, like this idea of like caring and loving the, the oppressed is not a palatable idea. It's not easy, right, to look out for the least of these. This isn't something that as a whole we just get on board like, yeah, like that's awesome. Like, like look at Jesus. He talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Like, that, like Jesus isn't making hits with these. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, Jesus is uncomfortable and he's intentionally stirring something within us with each of his words and intentionally poking and prodding at the crowd, and it's difficult. Like the way Jesus spoke and talked. These were radical ideas that Jesus was painting. It was unsettling to the masses. I mean, there's a reason, right? There's a reason Jesus died the most embarrassing death imaginable, right? Because he was unsettling. He wasn't something that everybody looked like. Oh, yeah, that's, that's easily agreeable. Thank you, Jesus. Like, that's easy. That sat well. He wouldn't have died the death he did if that was the case. And I'm wondering if a lot of us have watered down this sort of reckless love, this radical love that Jesus had in order to make the gospel something that's easily agreeable that's easy, that sits right with us, within ourselves. Doesn't make us venture too far off. And I think we've watered this thing down. Jesus continually ripped down the barriers of the cultural norm. Sitting and eating with tax collectors, like these, like these are the worst of the worst. Like whatever in your mind, close your eyes, picture like what is like the worst type of sinner. Like that's who everybody looked at when they saw the tax collectors. People that ripped other people off. And yet Jesus sat with them, ate with them, welcomed them in with open arms. It's difficult. See, it's not palatable, the message and the teachings of Jesus, but it is accessible. I want to take a look this morning um, at a particular story, and this is found in John chapter 8, and it's on the screen for you. I'm just going to read it first, and then we'll, we'll break it down. It says, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone, stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. But when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was the only one left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are you? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, this story, I love this story so much. Such a beautiful, beautiful story. And there's just a few things that I want to pull from here this morning. The first is Jesus does this really interesting thing, right? He gets down on the ground and begins to write in the dirt. And frankly, we, we don't know what he was actually doing. Theologians kind of go back and forth on maybe what it was and what it is. I was, was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, and, and he said, like, one, one of the things he heard is that maybe Jesus was doing this to sort of get the attention off of this woman who was most likely naked and laying there. Like, maybe Jesus was doing this simply to get the attention off of the woman and that's a, that's a good reading, and, and I would encourage you just like whatever interpretation there really sits with you, it's okay, because I think he's intentionally kind of leaving that open. But what I know and what sits with me is this thought that posture matters. Posture matters. See, this woman who is completely naked, covered in the utmost shame, is thrown into the temple courts and laying there. And what Jesus does first is gets near to the woman on this ground, covered in dirt, and gets near her. See, there's a whole lot, there's a big difference between saying, I see your shame and it's okay between standing over here far away from the woman and being like, yeah, she's all right, drop your stones. You know what I'm saying? Like posture matters. Posture matters. Who Jesus, who in our most shameful moments, like think of that. I think shame is one of those things that each of us just like have. Like we've lived through those moments. We can think back to a time where this was the time that I was most ashamed. Felt like this woman who was completely naked, thrown on the ground in the moment where you were caught. And Jesus draws near to you in that moment. See, I think posture matters. I can't. Imagine, put yourself in the shoes of this woman like I can't think of any more loving words. I can't think of any more loving words in that moment where it's like, yep, it's inevitable. And and by the way, the Pharisees were right. Like one commentary says this, in their reading of the Old Testament law concerning the punishment for adultery, and it cites Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 20. 2222, and it says, if you look up those, if you look up those passages, it's pretty clear. Like this is an open and shut case. The woman has been caught in the act. They had two or three witnesses. The law was clear, so there should be a stoning. 
This appears to be unequivocal. The law does indeed prescribe the death sentence of stoning. What more proof does Jesus need? And I think, man, put yourself in the shoes of that woman. Like, what? I can't think of a more loving statement, right, than you who haven't sinned. Go ahead and do it then. And to be laying there covered in this dirt on the temple floor and just hearing those stones drop and people walk away. Like imagine that. And it's so interesting here, right? Like this is something that we have to grapple with because the law is clear. Like the, the law of Moses was cut and dry like this is what was supposed to happen. In fact, it shouldn't have just been her, it should have been the man who she was sleeping with. Both of them should have been drawn in there and stoned. And it's interesting also that that man is nowhere in sight. We don't know, we don't know where that man is. It's only the woman. Isn't that interesting? I don't, I don't exactly know what to do with that. So really both are in the wrong here according to the law. But the law is clear, and it seems like Jesus disregards that in order to restore this woman's humanity. He disregards the law to say, hey, you, you you want to follow this law so much, right? But we've all fallen short. And there's no exact reason that that Jesus did this to this particular woman other than the fact that she is a fellow human being. Think about that for a second. Jesus most likely didn't know this woman at all and yet saw her and saw her humanity and said, you are worth it. This right here is a radical love. This is a radical sort of love. This doesn't sit easy, right? Like imagine if we took this on, where we cared way more about loving each other than calling out sin. I don't know. That's difficult. But it seems to me that that's what Jesus does here. Because Jesus is the the one who could have said, yeah, actually, you know, now that they're all gone, I actually haven't sinned, so I could, like, deck you with a stone right now. Like, I could do that. But he doesn't. The one who could have thrown the stone didn't. This is a radical sort of love that only concern is the humanity of the neighbor. Peter Weiner says this in his article for the New York Times called The Forgotten Radicalism of Jesus. He said, Jesus modeled inclusion and solidarity with the unclean and marginalized, not only for their sake, but for the sake of the powerful and the privileged and for the good of the whole. See, Jesus' concern here is not just this woman, although primarily it is. He's also setting example for the power and the privileged, and for the good of the whole. See, it seems that this inclusion and this sort of radical love that Jesus exemplifies is not just good for the least of these, but it's also good for us as humanity. 
This is radical. This is difficult. To be honest, it's way easier just to have some people that we don't like, right? Like, because we all have that. Stick to our group. I think about um, the story of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, right? It's interesting, and I was just, just reading about this this last week, that the question asked is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Right, because the person asking it, really what he's getting at is I wanna know, I wanna have an excuse for the people that I'm not supposed to love. Like I wanna have an excuse to not love a certain people. There's this assumption that there's like in-groups and out-groups. And what's interesting is that in the story, Jesus doesn't actually answer that question. He doesn't say who is, he doesn't actually say, yeah, this is your neighbor, this is the people you're supposed to care about, and then those are the people that you kind of care less about. What Jesus seemingly is getting at is the fact that every single person, no matter who it is, has worth, and you ought to love them. That's, that's an uncomfortable type of love. Like, let's face it, like, we've been there, like, it's so much easier to be like, no, nah, I'm good. Or no, that makes me uncomfortable, or I don't know how I agree with that. Like, I don't know about the theology behind that. Like, I'm not sure. Like, Jesus says, it doesn't matter. Love them. Include them. Sophie Daubeny, in her blog on redletterchristians.org, great website, by the way, says this. Sometimes it feels like religion has forgotten its own origins. There once was a time when being a Christian was radical too, even by today's standards. Jesus himself would be a difficult figure to accept. To the then rigid hierarchies of Roman government and wealthy Pharisee priests, Jesus' advocation for the inherent equality among all people, no matter who they were or what they had done, did not sit well. Love was at the forefront of everything Jesus taught. That first statement sticks out to me so much that maybe we as Christians have forgotten this sort of radical love that Jesus so consistently exemplified. I don't know. I think this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, that small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And this isn't because God has somehow limited the amount of travelers down this road. And it's not because the Christian walk is somehow some exclusive, some exclusive thing to a select few, but because this radical love that Jesus calls us to is a high calling. It's a high calling. And to be honest, like, it's so much easier to go down that wide road and so much more convenient to go in that wide gate. The small gay, like you gotta wait in line, you gotta wait for people, you gotta squeeze through that, like, and then you gotta go down this narrow road, winding. Like it's so much more convenient, so much more easy, so much more palatable, right? To go down this big road that everybody's going down, like everybody's doing it. And yet Jesus calls us to something else, to a sort of radical love. 
I've spent this morning sort of presenting a reality, right? And it's really, it's really up to you what you're going to do with it. Maybe you just needed to hear that story of the woman caught in adultery and realize that maybe you felt like an outsider in this thing. Like, maybe you haven't felt that this is palatable at all, and you also haven't felt like it was accessible either, and you felt like this is somehow like some country club thing, but the reality is that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to this thing and saying, please, come to me. Maybe for some of us, we need to wrestle with the difficulty of this. Like we've so easily adapted this sort of easy calling of I'm going to love these people well, but some people I just won't love well, and I'll theologize away the reason why I won't love them, and maybe we need to come to terms with loving every single person. I don't know. Again, the, the responsibility for you is what are you going to do with this reality because I've become convinced that this radical love that Jesus has and exemplified is what we're called to as believers. And it's one that Jesus says will inevitably end with us picking up a cross. It's not easy. But I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Can we pray? Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your son who exemplified this love, this most beautiful, wholesome love for us. And it's difficult. It's a difficult example to follow God, but the truth is it is possible, it is accessible, and it is worth it. So God, I pray over each person in here, God, I pray over myself that we would take up this calling, that we would follow you, Jesus, down this narrow path, this winding path through this small gate, and that we would be your hands and feet, that people would look at us and we would be defined by your love, a radical love, Jesus, that only comes from you. In your beautiful name, amen.